0: Hey how you doing? I'm Steve Holland. Welcome to another one. This episode of Being Freelance is supported by Coconut, the ultimate accounting and tax tool for self-employed people. With expense tracking, receipt capture, invoicing and tax all in one easy-to-use app. Coconut gives you the power of a finance team in your pocket. Get started today. Get Coconut.com slash Being Freelance. And right now let's find out what it's like being freelance for Illustrator James White.
1: I really started putting the pressure on myself to build my own name outside of the client work that I was doing. When I went freelance, I would be mortified, like the last thing I wanted to do was sit by the phone and wait for it to ring. Don't intentionally swing low in hopes of just landing the job, because they may not take you seriously. Trying to do the work and bring in the work and manage the work. And deal with the financial stuff and contracts and whatever. At agencies, four different people do those jobs. If I were to do all of my emails and keep them up to date all the time, I'd have zero time to work during the day, because that is literally all I would do is just email.
0: Yes, yeah, so there is James, who goes by the name of Signal Noise online and he's an illustrator slash graphic designer from Canada, now in the UK. Really looking forward to him sharing his story in a moment. Let me tell you though, beingfreelance.com, lots of stuff going on. Over 200 episodes of the podcast for a start, so make sure you check them out. Also, the vlog is there, videos, articles. We've got the book club. We've like written up a little review of the 12-week year, which was our first book in the book club. You can either watch the high. highlights video, which is only about 10 minutes, or read about it there. And click on the community button. It takes you through to the community, funnily enough. Um, (laughs) I Hey, I don't know much about user experience, but I think I've nailed that one. Yes, come and join freelancers from around the world in the Being Freelance community. It'd be great to see you over there. And if you want to support what I do with Being Freelance, with the podcast and the live videos and everything, and the book club, you can all you need to do is go to beingfreelance.com slash coffee and you can buy me some biscuits, buy me a coffee and biscuits or tea and biscuits. You can do that there and that's very, very welcome. Or you can simply leave a review or share it online or share it in person and help spread the news so that more people get to listen to it anyway. Let's crack on. Find out what it's like being freelance for illustrator slash graphic designer James White. Hey, James. Hello, Steve. How are you? I'm good. Thanks so much for doing this. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Let's get started hearing how you got started being freelance.
1: Yeah. You want the long story or the short story?
0: <laughs> uh, well, I've just made a fresh cup of tea. So let's go for the long story. Long you know? story, right on. Well, wow. uh, I've been drawing since I was
1: four years old, like uh, all the way through elementary school, junior high, high school. And upon graduation of high school in 1995 I'm 42 for context and uh, upon graduation of high school I enrolled in a one-year graphic design course that was at a local community college it was real cheap kind of a kind of a real 101 kind of thing and uh, graduated from that went on to do something called interactive technology in 1997 and 98 which taught me the uh, I guess the highlights of that was how to make a website they also and how to use flash they also taught us uh, really useful stuff like how to make a cd rom kiosk using director
0: yes oh my god i i had to use director to make cd rom similar time yeah and it's awful it was a, <laughs> the lingo is <was> horrible <laughs> yeah 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 so going through all of that
1: graduated in 98 and was scooped up right out of school at a company called internet solutions in halifax nova scotia designing websites and some branding for companies that kind of stuff and i worked in the the uh, agency land for 10 years and then I started making a name for myself uh, personally through the signal noise studio, uh, my personal brand. Um, I started making a name for myself in 2008 and then in 2010 is when I officially went freelance the client jobs that I was attracting on my own time was outweighing the stuff that I was doing by day for the agency job. So I ended up leaving and going freelance, and I've been freelance ever since. This is my 10 year anniversary this year.
0: Oh, I, I'm, I'm touched that we're here to celebrate it together. <laughs> so yep. after college, you joined an agency. So what was it that then, in you know 2008, then made you start creating your own stuff and doing freelance work? And you 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 mentioned signal noise. Yeah, what? What was it? Well, I've
1: always been like throughout my life. Basically, I've always been working on side projects and uh, just drawing. Mostly, you know, I was into comics and stuff. Me and my buddy Mike Field, my childhood best friend, we were always drawing when we weren't supposed to be drawing in in school and stuff. And even when I got into school, I'd do my schooling for graphic design, but I'd always be working on my own stuff. So I would take if we learned Photoshop during the day, I would at night. Book out some time in the in the uh, the lab at school and work on my own stuff in Photoshop just to see how I could push it to uh, to better myself to sharpen my skills. So all the way, even when I got into agency land, like I was a, a young guy, single, living on my living on my own, so I had all like access to my full evenings, full weekends, and whatever. And I would work on my own stuff. I would work on my own websites, my own illustrations, my drawings. I had a load of different projects that I wanted to do all the time. I've never really stopped doing that. That's built into my circuitry. So When it came to 2008, that's when I really started putting the pressure on myself to build my own name Outside of the client work that I was doing, so I used SignalNoise.com, which was I registered in nineteen ninety nine. You know, almost ten years prior, and uh, got a blog going thanks to the help of my buddy Chris Tom's back home in uh, in Halifax, and uh, started pushing my stuff on Flickr. And um, you know, and then the rise of social media certainly helped with Twitter and Facebook and things. And the stuff that I was putting out on my own time that ended up attracting clients while I was working at the agency. So that's really when the I I was really cautious about monitoring when the scales tipped and I was able to go freelance. And it was right around that time. So it was it was hilarious working, you know, on websites during the day for local spas and, you know Gas stations or whatever, and then going home and trying to meet a deadline for MTV. <laughs> it was a really weird. <laughs> the duality of it was was mind bending. So you know, I I picked my my time and I thought you know I have enough client work and enough exposure uh, right now to kind of take take matters into my own hands and and go freelance full time. And I did that in 2010. So there was a little bit of overlap between uh, when I made a name for myself and when I actually went freelance.
0: But when those freelance clients were coming to you in that transition period, I mean, you mentioned like, you know, put, putting yourself out there, as it were. But like, <laughs> how, how were they finding you? Like there's putting photos on Flickr, but like, were you being proactive? Were you emailing people or did you simply wait to see if the world would come to you?
1: yeah i kind of I kind of waited you know and and I before I tell the story i'm I'm well aware that you know the world is very different now, so there's different technology there's different outlets for uh for promotion that sort of thing. but when I was putting stuff out, it was one hundred percent on a personal level. I wasn't in pursuit of getting big name clients or anything like that it was just for my own enjoyment it was just so when people googled James White, they would get my artwork I was known for something so um, I would put it out like essentially how the how the thread goes. I had my blog, which I was posting on you know multiple times a week with new artwork, talking about how I made it, that kind of thing. And on Flickr, I was putting my art in Flickr pools. So that's something it's a pool that's run by people that run other blogs, but a lot of other people can contribute to the the art that's being put in there. So I started putting my art in those things, and other people that ran big blogs, started basically reposting my artwork and asking me to do interviews. And the most notable one was Fabio Sasso, who went on to do the mighty Abduzido. And he was doing Abduzido was just getting its legs at the time. And uh, I was the second interview on the website. And little did I know that creative directors from all over the world were going to Fabio's website on a daily basis. So when I got that interview I got a call a couple of days later from Saatchi and Saatchi in LA asking me to do do a a campaign for Toyota, you know, and I thought it was one of my friends playing a prank on me. I thought like, this is, (laughs) who is this? Like, dad, is this you? But, uh, but no, it was legit. And, and that's when I kind of, you know, that, that was the outlet at the time where it was the blogosphere, right? So blogging was huge at, in the time, and this would have been early 2008. And that's essentially how how everything started for me and my studio. And honestly, Steve, it just hasn't stopped really since then. I've been kind of riding the wave of keeping keeping my personal projects, my work fresh, keeping it out there. And um, and you know, I'm very and, and again, I, I'm not. It's not lost on me that I'm very fortunate in my position. It's uh, it was a, a hell of a lot of luck that got me the necessary exposure at the right time with the right style. But um, I've been kind of riding that ever since and just trying to keep trying to keep the work fresh and just keep keep putting it out there.
0: That's great. But when you got those phone calls, like how did you react like from a pricing from a business side of things? Like you were quite <laughs> happily just doing your side projects for the love of it. Yeah. Uh, you were quite happily taking a paycheck from a company. Like, Were you prepared for suddenly... Running a business?
1: Well, uh, just one correction there. I don't know if "happily" would be the word I would use. I was I was getting a paycheck, you know, <laughs> and it was uh, it was a uh, it was in the design field and it was creative. But you know, ultimately, and I, I don't want to speak for any other creatives, but you know, I think ultimately we want to be doing our own thing. If there's any amount of like artist uh, in us, we want to achieve our own goals and not help other people achieve theirs. Um, ultimately, I guess that's where I am. That's the uh, the creative person, the artist in me, I suppose. So, um, <laughs> to answer your question, when the companies started calling, I was freaked out because I didn't know I didn't know how the hell to price anything. You know, up until up until that point, I had only been doing rave flyers for a local events company and charging them like three hundred bucks a pop. So, I didn't know how to how to really price anything. So, I got a hold of my buddy Joel. Joel Liliev, who lives in Dartmouth, Nova Scotia, and uh, I, I contacted Joel because he's a he's a 3D guy, uh, 3D effects, 3D uh, animator, modeler, but he had worked with um, Hollywood quite a bit. He worked on Sin City, uh, the Hellboy movie, and you know I figured if there's anybody in my life that knows how to price things properly, it's Joel because he has experience with these larger uh, these larger clients. So I got a hold of him, and he gave me some really good advice around that time. He said don't assume that if you go in low with your price that the client will be happy because if you go in low they might have the impression that you're not professional so he said like try to find the middle ground trying to get it in that window of what you want and what the client will accept and don't intentionally swing low in hopes of just landing the job because they may not take you seriously, and that's something that uh, that advice has stuck with me throughout my career. So, uh, yeah, to answer your questions, uh, it was a it was a strange time, and and accepting this work while being at an agency was really it was weird as hell. Trying to trying to meet deadlines for Toyota on my own time while not telling my boss at the agency that you know it's like the work we're doing here ain't that great. Like I'm going to go home and work on VH1
0: stuff. So it was weird. <laughs> um- so what was the, I guess, the sort of tipping point when you decided to leave?
1: It was, it was all monetary, really. Um, I just tried to figure out, like, how many, how many clients do I have on the go? How much am I bringing in? And do I want to roll the dice? On that, you know, um, at the time, you know, I wasn't too, I wasn't happy with uh, the day to day job, as I mentioned, and it wasn't so much about the people or whatever; it was just the work, you know. Um, Ultimately, when you're at an agency, you have no control over what jobs are brought in. It's just it gets plunked on your desk, and you have to deal with it. And that was the one of the main reasons that I knew that, you know, I didn't want to do this. I didn't want to do this kind of work. And the the jobs that I was bringing in on my own time were very much, I mean, these clients were hiring me to do what they saw me do on Fabio's blog, which was my personal work, which is what I want to do. So it was the perfect storm of being hired to do work and get paid for it. But it's also the kind of work that I would just be doing on my own time anyway. So that was the tipping point.
0: How did you then change to, you know, up until this point, a lot of clients have just been coming to you. Did you just let that continue, or did you start to be more proactive? Uh,
1: I just kind of continued uh, being me online, really. And I know it's hip to say, you know, just do you or whatever, but <laughs> it, uh, it it really was just that. I mean, I figured that if if I were navigating the internet the way that I was doing it and it was working, then I wasn't going to change it. So it but it did allow me more time, which was good. So my output. Went up, and I could explore different things. I started doing the the Signal Noise broadcast back in, I think it was 2008 or 2009 on UStream. So it was like very early online streaming, and I would do a weekly hour long show, just kind of talking about what I was working on, maybe showing some process stuff, and also doing a a live Q and A with the chat room, so people can ask me about, you know, either specific uh, software stuff, effects stuff, but also just how to navigate. The industry, and it also, like by way of the broadcast, it allowed me to get on stage at at design and arts conferences and things, and have an hour long talk to present not only present my material and and show my work, but also help out fledgling designers that are trying to navigate this wilderness of the creative industry. You know, so going freelance allowed me to do a lot more of that, and I've never been. If there's if there's anything that I can say, I inherited directly from my parents. It's the inability to sit still. <laughs> so when I <laughs> when I went freelance, I would be mortified. Like the last thing I wanted to do was sit by the phone and wait for it to ring. Right. So um, I would make projects for myself, and I, I never had a dull moment. I was it was always nine to five, and I would just fill my time with uh, with promotion. So I guess to answer your question, yeah, like um, I did maybe slightly change things in order to promote myself in a different way to potential clients, but. It's, it's, it was probably a result of just having more time to analyze myself, analyze the industry and analyze where people are finding me and just try to take advantage of that more often.
0: So you were doing streams. So that was like a, an earlier version of, I guess what would be something like Twitch or exactly. YouTube yeah. Live now. Yeah. Is that something that you kept doing and evolved? I had 84 episodes uh, before I
1: stopped doing it. And, um, you know, and I and I stopped doing it. May I can't remember exactly why it was a time I had a, a time thing or whatever. I had moved to another place, and uh, I just didn't have the opportunity to keep it going to the extent that I wanted to. But eighty four episodes, yeah, that which is a a lot of content and uh, a lot of the same. Like I have friends now online that I know through the broadcast, like names I would regularly see in the chat room, and I still maintain uh, contact with these guys. And it's uh, it was it was really cool. It was like a a little kind of community building exercise before Twitch was a thing, before yeah. Facebook Live or YouTube YouTube was in its infancy, I think, at the time. And, yeah, they certainly didn't have yeah. live streaming. So,
0: yeah, it was really cool. Is that something – okay, you didn't keep that going, but have you tried <sighs> lots of other things to keep putting yourself out there over the past 10 years? Well, he,
1: actually, it's it's good timing but for that question because I'm actually going through the process now of – filming stuff for a YouTube channel that's going to be not the same thing it's going to be a little bit more expanded upon and one of the things that I've missed which and it's kind of weirdly the antithesis of social media like I find social media to be very anti-social and the the contact with your audience seems to have been reduced in my experience so one of the things that I miss is direct contact with people whether that be live or through comments or whatever and Creating content on a regular basis and putting it out there. So, I'm, the the broadcast is going to be coming back real soon, and it's going to be on on YouTube. Coupled with that, I started releasing a quarterly art zine called Off the Grid, which is a lot of uh, my artwork throughout the years. I have an extensive archive of all my drawings going back to 1988. And uh, you know, I'm one that I kind of hoard my own digital files, so I have an unbroken stream of creativity going back, you know, three decades or something. So I'm diving into that material in order to um, not only show off modern work and whatever, but to tell stories, to uh, enlighten those that might be early in their career trying to find their creative voice and uh, offer inspiration. You know, it's a quarterly art zine that acts as the diary of a nerdy creative kid that grew up to be a nerdy creative adult.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And this is an actual printed
1: zine. Yeah, it's a physical thing, man. Like uh, print is forever. And I'm getting kind of tired of having all my work reside on, you know, hard drives and buried in social media posts and stuff. So I want to get my work into people's hands so, you know, they can hand it to a friend or I could leave it in a, in a coffee shop for somebody to discover. You can have a look at it when you're flopped on the couch instead of scrolling through your phone. You know, I want to, I want to kind of bring back that tangible and collectible quality that I enjoyed when I was a kid. You know, I was into comic books and Nintendo power magazines and stuff when I was a kid. And, you know, I want to try to capture some of that tangible quality, you know, and I'm having a great time doing them.
0: Nice. Earlier on, you said working the nine to five. But do you actually work nine to five? I try to as much as I can.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's um, I know. Like you know, when we go freelance and we have our our schedule is at our own disposal, it's easy to kind of slip off of that. But no, I try to keep a pretty regimented nine to five. So I can still enjoy my evenings. I can still enjoy my weekends. And. Just concentrated time, you know. There's uh, there's no real reason why, as creative people, we can't get the day to day done within that frame. Um, is if we have concentrated time. So that's cutting out social media. It's just you know turning off the phone, putting on headphones, and just getting the stuff done. You know. So I try to keep it as regulated to that time as I can. And you know, if I want to do some fun stuff in the evening, whether that's you know drawing or or doing some recording for the for the YouTube channel. Um, you know, I could still do that, which is, to me, that that's playtime. That's not really work. Because as I said earlier, I'm always working on side projects and I'm always doing stuff on my own time anyway. So I'd like to keep that evenings and weekends freed up for the potential to, uh, to draw a comic book if I want to.
0: So do you do any of your side project work during your work day?
1: Yeah, sometimes. If I know that a client deadline is four days away, and I know that I can probably sneak one day out of that time and, and still meet the deadline. Then you know I'll do that because ultimately everything that I do plays into signal noise. So if I release a new art piece, it may not be for a client, and I may not make any money from it. It still serves as promotion for my studio and and myself, mm-hmm. and it it gets uh, some visibility online. Heightens the uh, awareness of my studio and my name to uh, to people. Might garner some more followers. Who knows? So it's it's always worth it in uh, in some degree.
0: You mentioned speaking that came off of the original broadcast. Did those people come to you because they saw them? Yeah, the speaking
1: thing is really fun. Um, initially, I had to approach people to let them know that I wanted to speak. Initially, I mean, I'll give him a shout out. Sean Sean Pucknell at FITC was the first guy to really roll the dice on me and, and get me on a stage in Toronto in 2009, I think. And That was something that sort of evolved in an unexpected way. I never thought that I would be a professional speaker, and I still hesitate to say that. But it kind of evolved into a into a realm that you know I could i could this is another method of getting my name out there and promotion, sure, but also and most importantly helping other people find their creative voice. That's always something I've been interested in personally, so to try to spread that around is is always always a priority so after I did one talk, and this is something I learned about the the speaker' circuit is that people that run conferences watch what other conferences are doing and who they're having so when I did that one talk, I started getting emails from other people asking if I would wanted to speak at at their events. So I think I think uh, conference promoters are always on the hunt for new blood. When I was new blood, I got a, I got a bunch of um, requests to go to their events and tell my story really, which has been great. and I, I'm still doing it to this day. you know I got some some dates lined up in Georgia over in the states, Creative South. That's April 4th, ooh or second. Sorry, Mike, if I messed up your dates. <laughs> off, and, off in uh, Barcelona, I'm going back there to uh, hang out with Natalie and Hector. That's uh, late April. I'm taking the stage with my buddy Gavin Strange, Jam Factory. We're doing our HustleMania event. And then uh, we got a couple of other dates that I'm not allowed to announce yet. So that's the end of that. <laughs> <laughs> wow.
0: That's uh, that's pretty jet-setting. At what point did you up sticks from Canada and come to the UK?
1: Oh, yeah. Well, uh after I married my wife Naomi, <laughs> so uh, she's from she's from Newcastle, and uh, we got married in oh boy 2018, and uh, yeah, and I, I ended up moving over here uh, the middle of August just last year. So I've only been here for what's the math there four months or something, four and a half months.
0: Has that made a difference to the way you work, or was everything remote and it didn't really matter where you were anyway? It
1: didn't really change my my client uh the client stuff all that much. But there is one thing that changed a lot by moving over here, and that's well, Canada is really big. <laughs> it's a big country. So print on demand stuff is really it doesn't really work. Like there's still print shops in every city or whatever, but the print on demand thing that's available here in the UK is at a much higher quality than back in Canada, because the country is just so damn big and shipping is, is too much to to tangle with. But being the United Kingdom, being a smaller place, I have a lot more access to things within the United Kingdom than I had access to in Canada. So that helps the signal noise promotion side of things. It helps my personal art side of things tremendously. I wouldn't have been able to do off the grid, the art zine back home, because the the time needed in between print runs would have been way higher than needed here i can send something to print and have it in my hands in three days you can't do that back home it's just it's inconceivable so it changed a lot it it changed not so much the style of my work i could just do more of it now at a quicker clip which i which i really appreciate
0: interesting and so when you're creating those zines you're like posting them all out and doing all of that yourself
1: Well, I have a fulfillment company that deals with uh, the shipping side of it. But when it comes to everything else, that's all me. So I lay everything out, I send it to the print company, they send it to me, and then I have to assemble them. Because I'm such a sucker for making way more work for myself. I have to like put all the zines in like plastic sleeves and I have to put a trading card and a sticker inside of it because I was, I'm a big fan of Wizard Magazine from back in the early 90s and they always shipped with like a stupid trading card or something. So I'm trying to like, <laughs> I'm trying to add my my swag and uh, kind of a little upsell item, little gift into all these things. So I have to assemble all of these things, me and Naomi, and then package them all in the, the shipping envelope, then box them all up, then ship them to the, uh, the fulfillment company. And they handle shipping them all out to everybody else.
0: Wow. <laughs> <laughs> it's a lot of work, man, but it's super fun. <laughs> Do you like have help or collaborate with anybody in, in, in any other way? Other than Naomi,
1: uh, not really. No, I mean Signal Noise has always been uh, a one-person show. You know, I've never had any employees or whatever. Um, I have an agent, my buddy Alex, Alex Suchet, down in um, down in London at Mystery Box. He's uh, he brings in work for me. He manages uh, the work that he that he brings in, and we collaborate on, on a lot of stuff. And we we've been uh, we've been working together for. Oh, sorry, Alex. This would have been two oh Oh man, two thousand eleven. I think is when we started working together. So Alex would be my my number one collaborator, I suppose, in uh, in the industry over the years, and uh, just it's an invaluable service because um, up until this point, and me and Alex had talked about this, you know, trying to do the work and bring in the work and manage the work and deal with the financial stuff and contracts and whatever is that's a job for like you know at agencies four different people do those jobs, so. I needed somebody there to just to manage that side of it, so I didn't I didn't have to. Like, if I were to do all of my emails and keep them up to date all the time, I'd have zero time to work during the day because that is literally all I would do is just email. So, getting that task off of my off of my back has proven to be invaluable. And Alex is is awesome. He handles things much the same way I do. And uh, yeah, it's been it's been great. It leaves me more time to do what I do
0: best, which is uh messing around in photoshop <laughs> how do you manage your workload um cuz it sounds like you know you're on top of it 9 to 5 <laughs> evenings off weekends all sounds good yeah
1: it's not bad um it's um managing the workflow has you know it's taking me 10 years to really figure out the uh, the ebb and flow of that, it's not something that I picked up straight away, and it's certainly not something that I would even say I'm on top of all the time. But 2020, and this is one of our one of my resolutions, along with Naomi's, was to sort out our schedule and you know financial stuff and whatever this year. So um, I'm trying to keep myself on a really strict day to day. So the day before, I have a spreadsheet that I made that basically has Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and weekends divvied up. And I can build my schedule the day before. So I will know I know what client work I have on the go. I know what personal work I have going. And I'll just try to map out. Like I usually split my day between mornings and afternoons. So I'll work on something in the morning, have lunch, and then switch to something else in the afternoon. So this evening, I'll map out what my tomorrow looks like and uh, just try to keep things moving forward and keeping track of those deadlines that are down the road. And you know, I'm the and I'm also the kind of designer that likes to keep clients very up to date. So if I work on something during the day, odds are at the end of that day I'll send them an update of where I am. That way I can get some little feedback if they have it the next day, and uh, it it solves being an illustrator and it's it's a very linear process. So if I if I send work to clients as I'm working on it, it's a lot easier than having to do a big change down the road that we could have caught. You know, two weeks prior. So having that sort of uh, back and forth really helps. So it Mm. keeps everybody keeps everybody happy. It uh, it keeps me in the know of uh, of what they're thinking, and um, yeah, and it's just it works for it works for the schedule. It keeps everybody on track. And do you work from home? I did until a lot of changes in the last six months, Steve. (laughs) Uh, I did work at home, but uh, Naomi, um, when as soon as I moved here, (laughs) it was funny. As soon as I moved here, being this you know life-altering change moving from Canada to here, the, like the following week, Naomi said, we're going to start looking at office space. <laughs> I was like, oh, okay. And it was totally the right move. In November, we moved into a, our own office space. So me and Naomi – Naomi is uh, my wife, and she also runs Branded by Naomi. She's a graphic designer, branding branding designer, specialist, and um, impeccable at her job. And so we we both have the same schedule, and we both obviously are involved in sort of the same industry. So we split office space, and it's uh, it's great. We have it all decorated up. She has all of her sophisticated art prints, and I have all my He-Man toys. It's great.
0: <laughs> so so the two of you leave the house and
1: head off to the office? We do. Yeah, yeah. She's actually at the office right now. I'm at home right now because I'm, uh, I'm goofing off with you. You know, Okay, there's one thing I miss, like getting back to working at agency life and that sort of thing. The one thing that I miss the most, well, there's two things. Number one is working around people. We have our own office, but it's within a, a building that there's a number of different offices. So there's always people around and there's bustle out in, the, out in the hallway and stuff. And I miss being around people. That's why I work really well in coffee shops and pubs and that kind of thing. But the other thing I miss, and it's probably what I miss the most, is the, the transition from home to office. At the beginning of the day and at the end of the day, if you work at home, you can't wait to get out the door at five because you've been sitting inside all day. At the end of the day, now it's a pleasure to come home and sit on the couch and, like you know, have a wine if we want um, and just un- unwind after the day. Like that—that that is something that I miss. And I, I ended up and we both ended up valuing our home a lot more after moving into the office space during the day.
0: Yeah, nice. What would you say is the biggest challenge for you of being freelance? I would probably have
1: given a different answer if you asked me that like a year ago or two years ago or five years ago. So th- this is a constantly evolving thing. Um, the biggest challenge, I would say, because signal noise is known for a specific thing, like I make loads of 1980s inspired artwork with chrome and lens flares and rainbows and you know and Tron grids and all that kind of stuff. And I developed that Style, or that I started working in that style in, like I said, 2008, 2009. And I think the biggest challenge for me is to not so much keep that style relevant, but try to keep myself relevant while keeping myself interested in the work that I'm doing. Because the 1980s style it got caught up with uh, the synthwave scene. Like I love synthwave music. And uh, so I got my style that I was, or not my style, the style that I was working in got swept up in the synthwave movement in around, you know, 2013 or 2014, which has been great. But I, I guess my biggest fear is, you know, the 30 year uh, trend when it comes to the past. Like if you were to go back 30 years, when I started developing, uh, or well, when I started working in this 1980s style, that would have been like 1980, almost on the nose in the 30 year cycle. So now we're, it's 10 years later, we're moving into the 1990s. So we might start seeing more, we're seeing more Nirvana shirts around and alternative rock and maybe rave culture, heaven forbid, is gonna start rearing <laughs> its head again. And, you know, so my biggest challenge is to try to stay relevant and stay fresh while doing the kind of work that I wanna do and it's um it's done out of concern and fear and and whatever else. Last year, I mean, I'll be completely honest, Steve, like last year was probably the lowest income year that I've had since starting freelance and there might be a number of reasons for that. It could be economic ups and downs in the world, it could be the trend kind of phasing out. There's any number of reasons. It could be maybe I didn't promote myself properly. I don't really know, but that's the biggest challenge is to try to come up with ways and and work that keeps myself relevant, sure, but also keeps myself happy, you know, and, and hopefully being able to support myself and pay bills along the way. That'd be nice. And the things that are born out of that challenge or that concern is the off the grid zine, the YouTube channel, uh, the comic that I'm working on.
0: Yeah, rather than letting the fact that you weren't less last year get to you, you're like, okay, well, what else can I do?
1: Exactly, yeah, yeah. And it's um there was a lot of concern before arriving at that situation, but trying to build the signal noise universe has to be what I do to keep myself relevant and keep myself interested. And it, it's almost looking inward at my own story rather than looking outward toward what might be a trend, if that makes any sense. So mm. and a lot of my colleagues in the industry are writing, you know, books and that sort of thing and I just don't want to spend two years writing a damn art book. I want to do stuff and get it out there into people's hands in the nerdiest way possible so uh yeah, so yeah. all of that stuff that I'm doing now is definitely born out of that that worry that that concern and that
0: challenge cool H- Have you found you know a lot of people sort of toy with having a company name you know using their real name. How have you found it you You trade a signal noise
1: yeah. Yeah, um, and that's a that's a weird one too because I don't really think I've been asked this uh, quite a few quite a few times as well. Like from younger designers asking, do I come up with a name or do I just use my name? And there is no real right answer to it. Um, if you become known for a specific thing, whether that's a style or kind of work or whatever, and you make it, you make a name for yourself, your name will be the one that you selected back then. So there is no real right or wrong practice to that. There is also a middle ground, like. Uh, Naomi, my wife, she trades under branded by Naomi, which is kind of the middle ground between it's a company name but it's also her name. So there's no real right and wrong to all of that. Um, the people that are into the Signal Noise work inherently know my name, and it's the same with my buddy Chuck, Chuck Anderson over in Chicago. He goes by No Pattern. That's his personal design studio. But if you know No Patterns work, you know it's Chuck. So I don't think that's uh, that's something that's There's no right and wrong. There's no recipe to that. It's just, you just pick one and you start doing your work. You know, the work is always going to be more important than the name you pick. And, you know, you can, it's not, it's not like you can pick some baller name and that's going to really super help you in, in your career like that, whatever. It's the word, the work is always going to be number one. So, you know, you just, you just pick what you think is best and just roll with it.
0: Yeah. Now I always do this thing where I ask for three facts about yourself to make two true and won a lie and let me figure out the lie,
1: what have you got for me, James? Okay, I got some stuff prepared, Steve. I had to do a lot of thinking about this, too. This is a, this is a hard one. Good, bit. good. So, the three items. Number one, I drank wine with Kurt Russell. <laughs> <laughs> number two, uh, when I was a kid, when I grew up, I wanted to be an artist. And number three, in grade 12, in high school, I was thrown in jail by the vice principal. <laughs>
0: Um, okay. Right. As a kid, you wanted to be an artist. I guess the only way that can be a lie is if actually you wanted to be an astronaut, like, cause you, you already said that you enjoyed doing art and stuff, but that doesn't mean you wanted right. to be an artist. Could be a lie. You were thrown in jail by your, how were you thrown in jail by, by a teacher, by a vice principal?
1: A uh, vice principal in grade 12. Grade 12. What age
0: is that? I would have been uh, 17. You drank wine with Kurt Russell, but where did you drink wine with Kurt Russell? Where? Uh, The Hollywood Hills. The Kurt Russell, (laughs) like Hollywood legend. That's right. Oh, hang on. Were you like serving him? Were you working as a waiter? (laughs) Mm -hmm. Ah. (laughs) No, I wasn't a waiter. you, you You were visiting your friend who works in Hollywood that you mentioned earlier. Sort of. Oh, OK. All right. There's something about the Kurt Russell story that sounds true. I think it's the very fact that you picked Kurt Russell. I mean, like there's any number of classic <laughs> actors that you can pick. Why would you pick Kurt Russell?
1: Yeah, it's all, it's also, he's also one of my favorite actors. So.
0: Oh, OK, so there is a reason. Right. Jail <laughs> Vice Principal. I don't really understand that one. I'm thinking maybe... That is true because maybe it was a charity event and people had to raise money to get you out of jail. I don't know. Or maybe it was because you'd been caught drinking wine with Kurt Russell just a week before and you literally got thrown in jail. So I'm saying, weirdly, (laughs) despite the fact that everything in me says, no, clearly he wanted to be an artist as a kid, maybe you didn't want to be an artist as a kid. That is the lie. That's your final answer? Yes.
1: All right. You nailed it, Steve. Yes! yeah well done, man Now this is creepy, okay because when I was a kid, I didn't know that somebody could grow up and draw for a living The creepy part when I was a kid, I wanted to be an astronaut you were right. I' get in yeah but I'm sorry you drank wine with Kurt Russell I drank wine with Kurt Russell yeah it was that was facilitated by uh my my man Russell Brown at uh, Adobe. And what happened was, I went to one of his events. I was speaking at it. He's uh, he he does events with Adobe. He's really high up in the in the company. And you know, we were talking one night, and I said like offhandedly, I said like, "Man, on my bucket list is like to have a drink with Kurt Russell." And he laughed, and he went, <laughs> "Really? I have to go make a phone call." So he left, and I was hanging out with people talking. He comes back, and he goes, he's looking at his phone, and he's scrolling. Just goes, he doesn't even look at me. And he goes, "Okay." when you're speaking at Adobe max in October, we're going to go have dinner at my friend Greg's place and Kurt Russell will be there. And he walks away. I'm like, what the hell just happened? (laughs) And that, that played out exactly that. We went to, um, uh, the, this nice guy, Greg Gorman. He's a, he's a photographer. He lives in in the Hollywood Hills and he's, he has connections to all kinds of, of celebrity and, uh, he had a dinner party at his place and it was all facilitated by Greg and Russell Russell Brown and um, yeah he invited he invited Kurt Russell and I got to hang out with him and that yeah, was awesome yeah it was really he's a really nice guy and his, he makes his own wine as well
0: <laughs> yeah and he brought his own wine so that's insane what a <laughs> what a night yeah it was um, awesome <laughs> your vice principal chucked you in jail
1: you're right it was for a, a charity it was a mock jail he gave them like thirty dollars or some crazy thing and said like go hunt down James and get him in this jail the entire lunch hour because <laughs> <laughs> that year like i wasn't one of the popular kids i wasn't one of the more noticeable kids or whatever but that year the school newspaper for the for that month they got me to illustrate the vice principal um it was in february so i did like a valentines day thing and i drew the vice principal in his underwear like with hearts all over <laughs> him with like he was dressed he's dressed up as cupid clearly the vice principal and uh, yeah, he saw that and he said, I'll get you. And <laughs> he threw me in jail.
0: <laughs> now, if you could tell your younger self one thing about being freelance, what would that tell be? Tell my
1: younger self, you know, um, as I said, like throughout this this podcast, like I've always been one to not sit still. I always have my own projects on the go and exploring my own, you know, uh, comic book characters or, or what have you, website design, animation. And Growing up, specifically in high school and in my early career, I had an, an immense frustration with not. It was def- I defined it as not having my own style, which is a common thing for specifically younger artists and designers to talk about. I need to find my own style. I need to find my own style. What that is, is your creative voice and vision. It's not necessarily a specific style. It's just the kind of work that you want to do that you want to excel at. So, In my early career, I was really frustrated that I didn't have my own creative voice. If I could go back in time and tell me something, it would be that the frustration that I was feeling is necessary because that means you care about the thing that you're pursuing and you want to achieve that goal. So. I would say, like you know, you're on the right track, and frustration is good because if you're complacent, that means you're not evolving. So frustration leads to to evolution in in the creative sphere, in my experience. So yeah, I would go back and say, you know, let let that frustration in and let that drive you to uh, exploring whatever it is you're going to explore next, and uh, don't let it. Um, debilitate you because I, I see that a lot, and I talk to a lot of people that are just getting into the into their career or have been in their career and haven't found what they what they truly want to do because it's such a wide, a wide path that we could go down in, in the creative industry. And it's about not letting that kick you down and not letting that stop you from creating things because as creative people we should be making things all the time if we want to get better. You know, you're not going to go to the gym once and get ripped. You have to go over and over and over again and over time you slowly see a change. And that's exactly how it is in in the creative arts and and design as well. The more that you do, the better you get over time. Time is everything. So that's what I would that's what the little snippet of advice I would give myself is like, you know, don't let that frustration stop you. Thankfully, it didn't, but I'd reassure myself that, you know, that fl- that frustration is needed. It's got to be there to help us move forward.
0: Love that. James, thank you so much. Go to beingfreelance.com. Click through. There will be links to James's work. You can find out about Signal Noise, about all the things we've talked about. Find him online. Maybe even go see him speak. Uh, go <laughs> take a look beingfreelance.com while you're there check out the other episodes please do share this think about reviewing it also join the community so that you can come join freelancers from around the world links all at beingfreelance.com and if you're a freelancing parent don't forget the other podcast that i co-host is doing it for the kids search for that but for now james thank you so much and all the best being freelance thanks man pleasure to be here steve